0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there is Jerry Jerome Rowland, and it's Stuff You Should Know back together again. Holy cow, I'm about to have a panic attack.
0: Although, this will be released after... The other episode where we're back together again. Oh, will it? Yeah. Oh, man. That's so like us.
1: That is t- typical S.Y.S. <laughs> we, case. We will
0: screw up our own reunion. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: We'll have to use the Wayback Machine to get things right, okay?
0: Uh, I think we got to tell everyone what's going on here, though. <laughs> Hopefully, you're listening on earbuds or headphones. If not, we encourage you to because this is a special episode where we are recording in 3D audio. And I think we should explain what's going on in this
1: room. I don't know. I feel like we're transgressing if we talk
0: about it in front of it. Yeah. Because it
1: might do something to us.
0: Uh, No, I think we should describe this microphone. Okay.
1: I'm a little scared of it, but go ahead. Uh,
0: Well, I'm on one side. So Josh and I, you know, we finally get back together to record, and it's nothing like a normal experience. (laughs) Not
1: even the same studio.
0: Different studio. We're sitting side by side, which is weird, although I'm just pretending it's a live show. Okay. Uh and in front of us is this microphone with human ears.
1: <laughs> yeah. But they're like plastic snow white ears.
0: Yeah, like th- the creepiest white you could imagine.
1: Yeah. It and then they have like bolts going around it and stuff too. It looks like it, it looks like I, I'm afraid of it. That's what it looks like to me. I don't like it one bit.
0: Yeah, and the idea is that we talk into these ears. And it produces a a different sonic experience for the listener Mm -hmm. at our expense. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because it's 3D audio week, right? It is. So I think a lot of our shows are doing this, right?
1: I'm pretty sure almost all of them. So if you're like, man, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard, just start go and start listening to uh, iHeart shows this week because they're going to have a lot of cool stuff going.
0: Yes, and I imagine uh, many other shows other than ours will have... Uh, make better use of the technology. <laughs> right. Not just talking to the ears. Talk to the ear.
1: Hey, you know, little known fact, by the way, these ears are modeled after Stellark's ears.
0: <laughs> <Are they>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's part of his forearm. You know Isn't that what it looks right like?
1: It's weird. Okay, so we're talking uh, actually not about 3D audio today, but instead we're talking about the Ivy Leagues, which obviously is the topic you pick when you're doing a 3D audio stunt, right?
0: Yeah, and I've got a couple of quick quotes if you'll allow. Okay, I have two friends, we share one, who went to Ivy League schools. Who? Uh, well, my friend Rob Elzey, who you do, uh, do not know, he was my roommate at Georgia for a year and mm-hmm. Uh, I still know Rob, I'm still friends with him. He went to Harvard Law after going to Georgia. Wow. And he said this that uh, I want to read it exactly. I don't want to paraphrase. He said, I always had the perception if you were there in a grad school context, you weren't really considered part of the club. And then he expanded on that and he said, uh, you know, a huge number of your classmates came from Ivy's as undergrads. So as a grad student coming in from Georgia, mm-hmm. He said it was almost like transferring to a new school in the middle of a school year kind of vibe. I can imagine. So like, oh, you went to Georgia. Right. And now you're up here with us. Uh, But he did say it was really coolly diverse in law school. And he said not just like ethnically diverse, but he said my class had a former New York City beat cop, a cardiologist from China, a former grade school teacher. He said just a lot of really unique experiences. Uh, And then I asked our other friend, John Hodgman. Oh, yeah, that's right. He went to Yale. That's right, of course. If he wanted to provide a quote and he said this, a Yale man never comments on a podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, I, I know Hodgman talked about being invited to, I think, the Skull and Bones Club later in life in one of his books.
0: Was it Skull and Bones or was it one of the other ones?
1: I'm pretty sure it
0: was Skull I don't know. It was a great story. It's one of their secret societies. Though. Yeah,
1: it is great. And I'm not surprised to hear that the Harvard Law School is pretty diverse because Elle Woods was there. And she diversifies everything. I don't know who that is. That's a Legally Blonde reference.
0: Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you get that? Oh, man. The ear got it. It's starting <laughs> it to bleed a little twitched.
1: bit. <laughs> it, no, it twitched into light. Also, before we really dive in, Chuck, I have to say, am I dreaming right now? Why? Because we're sitting next to each other, and it just is beyond weird. I just have to is go that, on about <laughs> this for another minute. Like, we haven't recorded together in uh-huh. over a year. Yeah. We haven't been months. in the same room together in over a year. I, don't, I haven't been in a room with a person uh-huh. who's not my wife uh-huh. without a mask on. Uh-huh. Same here. Without, number one, hyperventilating mm-hmm. or doing it at all. And then the fact that we're going to be sitting here together for, like, yeah. hours— <laughs> It's just mind-boggling to me.
0: Hey, get vaxxed, everybody. That's yeah. science for you. Yes, it is. Josh and I will not die because of this.
1: No. No, because we were vaxxed. That's right. We're going to grow that baby head out of our back that <laughs> likes to boss us around. No. happens. But other than that, we're no, going to no. be good. All
0: right. Ivy Leagues? Ivy Leagues. Just one. Ivy League.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I had, the, the Grabster helped us out with this one, um, and I had no idea what the Ivy League truly is. Like, when everybody thinks of the Ivy League, Mm -hmm. you think of, if you know what you're talking about, eight schools, Mm -hmm. sometimes referred to as the ancient eight. They're among the oldest schools in America. Mm -hmm.
0: You got Brown. Go Bears. Columbia. Go Lions. Cornell. Go Big Red. Dartmouth. Go Big Green. I know. Harvard. Go Crimson. Yeah, the Crimson Tide. Um, Pennsylvania. Uh, Go Quakers. Yeah, Like I for love real? that. Go Tigers. Yeah. Um, Princeton.
1: Go Tigers. And then Yale, Hodgman's alma mater. Go Hodgman's. And of those eight, seven of them were founded before the United States was even around.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the cool things about the Ivy League, uh, which, spoiler, it's really just an athletic conference. <laughs> that's what I didn't know. Did you know that? You know, I think I knew that, but when I first started looking into this as a topic, you think of Ivy League as a concept, rightfully right. I think, yeah, because it is that. Yeah, but at its root, it is it's a sports athletic conference.
1: <laughs> no idea. It's kind of weird because one of the other things you don't think of when you think of the Ivy League is sports. Yeah, not really. It's I mean, if you're into fencing, rowing, lacrosse, mm-hmm. um, wrestling, backgammon. Back, sure, backgammon, um, track and field. You might think of the Ivies. In, in fact, like um, women's rowing has been dominated, apparently, by um, the Ivy Leagues. Brown in this or Dartmouth. Entry. Brown and um, oh, I think it's Cornell women, if I'm not mistaken. I'll look. I have it written down somewhere else. So if that's not right, I'll correct myself, or totally forget to correct myself as usual. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you don't think sports, even though they do play. It's a Division One. AA conference, also known as Division I FCS. So they're not Division A. Like, they wouldn't normally play, like, Georgia or, no, no. or uh, Alabama or something no, like that. That'd be funny. <laughs> All right. They play teams like um, Howard University. Sure. Um, Holy Cross. Um, San Diego. Like, the kind of universities you're like, oh, I didn't know they had a college football team. Like yeah. that's the division uh F Division 1 FCS.
0: Yeah, and o- occasionally the uh Ivy League will get a basketball team that's pretty good. Yeah. I'm talking about it feels like once every 15 years or so.
1: Yale has had some pretty long good streaks, right?
0: I don't I remember Harvard and Princeton have had a couple of teams that like went to the March Madness tournament. Okay. And, you know, it's uh they're they're kind of fun to watch. It's a bunch of it's a three point shooting fest from from a bunch of white kids. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Those are fun
1: though. I like three point shooting fests. So I really loved the Golden State Warriors for a while there. Not these days though. No. No. Right. I mean, no, not really. <laughs> They've kind of hit on hard times, Chuck. I don't know if you know.
0: Oh, I knew they did last year, but I thought they were coming back.
1: So the the thing is though is like while we're talking about sports. People are like, why are you talking about sports? This is the the, How the Ivy League episode, How the Ivy League Works episode. So... Um, we're going to basically stop talking about sports in a little bit. But you have to talk about sports because, it's like you said, it's a sports league. But it's it's just, just completely disingenuous to say, like, okay, that's it, the Ivy League is a sports league. It's so much more than yeah. that. It has really so little to do with it being a sports league. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that these elite institutions that were elite long before the sport of football came around happened to join into a conference together and formed a... Um, yeah, sports conference.
0: Yeah, but it it really is a concept, and it's you know it's a grouping of schools that, like you said, are among the oldest, the most prestigious. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about their elite status and whether or not that's true. It is uh, whether or not they are elitist. They can be, right? But they're trying to fix that. Josh nods. <laughs> you know, those ears can't see you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. I know. That's the point.
0: But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's where—I mean, we'll get to all this, but it's where the, the presidents of the United States and Supreme Court justices and CEOs of huge law firms and companies go to school, you know? Yeah,
1: the idea is that if you make it into an Ivy League school, you can basically write your own ticket Yeah, that in the United States, right? Write your own ticket. Yeah, and it's been that way for a really long time, and for a really long time, that, that is just how it was. But then when they started to kind of expand and try to— be, uh bastions of higher education that serve all socioeconomic statuses, give the best and the brightest, regardless of your income. Right. A fast track to that. It became clear that that's not necessarily how it works, that in a lot of ways, Ivy League schools really are just this conveyor belt for dynasties. Yeah. You know, that, that just serve the, the highest echelons of society. But – It is, it's unfair to say that they aren't doing anything about that or or don't do anything about it. They do try to counteract that song. Uh,
0: If I were to write my own ticket, you know what it would be? (laughs) What? Jaywalking. Oh, really? I was going to say Aerosmith 76. Ah, I didn't think about that kind of ticket. Sure, man.
1: Yeah, man. You got to expand your mind. Now I got to pay some stupid jaywalking fine (laughs) and you're rocking out to Aerosmith. (laughs) No, you went the wrong direction with that.
0: All right, so I guess we can talk about the origin of the name Ivy League. Um, there is one, well, there are a couple of stories that, that are not true that you still hear people say are true in certain circles, non Ivy circles. Uh, it's that when they first got together to talk about forming a sports league, there were four schools, so they used the Roman numeral four, which is an IV, right. and they called themselves Ivy League. That is not true.
1: Or the I saw kind of elitistly um, it was the, the outsider saw the, the Roman numeral four and called it IV incorrectly, which is even okay. more like even worse. But, yes, that's just not, not true. true. There's another story that's a little closer to the truth that this one sports writer in the 30s um, – complained that he was going to have to watch the ivy grow at some of these ivy-covered institutions when he was assigned to to, uh, cover, I think, a Columbia football game,
0: right? Yeah, a Columbia pin game in 1937, and Caswell Adams was not too happy about that assignment.
1: No, and so his, his editor, a guy named Stanley Woodward of the New York Herald Tribune, took that ivy thing and ran with it and created the Ivy League. That story is probably not true either, but it does seem like Stanley Woodward is a good bet for the person who came up with the the term Ivy League,
0: right? And then in 1935 was officially used in print from AP editor Alan Gould. But it seems like the uh, it seems like it might just be as simple as the fact that these are schools that literally have a bunch of buildings with ivy. Colored walls, not colored, but ivy growing on the walls,
1: right? Which is a is this kind of um, it has like a certain distinguished air to it. It it's, it lends like this just um, super upper crust vibe. Yeah. ivy letting ivy grow up the walls of your institution is definitely like it's a certain thing, and it creates a certain vibe, and that vibe just happens to be exactly what the Ivy League schools are all about. And I mean, they even have like ivy planting. Uh, ceremonies for mm-hmm. incoming classes, um, and I believe all except Yale let ivy grow still, but Yale, I think, starting back in the 80s started cutting theirs back because it's actually not good for your building. Ivy roots get into masonry joints. They hold moisture. Yeah, it's not a, It's a bad jam, basically, and it can really cut into your annual take from your endowment to fix those buildings, so Yale said no more. They have a little bit of ivy crawling up a couple of halls, but for the most part, it's gone from the
0: campus. I've got ivy uh, on my f- w- part of one of my privacy fences mm-hmm. uh, between my neighbor and I, I. built that privacy fence when we moved in myself with my own hands, and oh. the ivy started growing, and now it is a complete wall of ivy, and it looks awesome. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah I, I think a it's a
0: mosquito farm is what I've heard. Yeah. But I don't want to—I mean, I, I trim it back, but— I'm, I'm going to leave it there because it looks really cool.
1: It's also chipmunks love to live in there, too. So how can uh-huh. you how can you do away with the chipmunk house? Yeah, can't get rid of their habitat. Where would they go? No, I know. <laughs> um, you want to uh, take a little break?
0: Yeah. I'm going to go get a Q-tip for this <laughs> microphone. Okay. <laughs> we'll I'm, be right back. I'm going to go breathe into a paper bag for a little bit. <laughs> so much stuff from Josh and Chuck. Stuff you
1: should know. Alright, Chuck, so we're back. Um, and so the Ivy League, as we were saying, basically came out of the the formation of the sports league itself. It was probably a sports editor named Stanley Woodward who came up with the, the name. Um, and what I think really just kind of underscores the Ivy League's approach to sports, Mm -hmm. is that the reason the Ivy League formed, and it tried, there were some stops and starts in the beginning of the 20th century, especially in like the 30s, um, where, you know, not all eight were involved or not all eight were allowed in and some people were mad and all that. And it just didn't quite come together until the mid-40s when they came together and formed the Ivy Group Agreement in 1945. All eight schools did. And they basically did it to say... Uh, we're really worried about this kind of growing influence of sports, in particular (laughs) football. Yeah. We want to make sure that doesn't happen in our school. So they formed a sports league to better control football uh, as far as its balance with academic life. That's what the Ivy League sports league was based on.
0: Yeah, and I think there were some worries too about the danger of football early on because, you know, back then, actually I'm trying to think of what the helmets were like in 1945. They were not much. They were basically like um like uh,
1: uh, a sheepskin wrapped around <laughs> your head, and then you hope for the best.
0: No, I think that was post just leatherheads years. I don't know, no? dude. I think that was still
1: into the 40s. I think it was maybe the late fifties, early sixties when they started okay. to get like the helmet with the single bar. But yeah, but no face masks. Right, right, no, so nothing ever. like that.
0: Uh I remember at the college or the uh Pro Football Hall of Fame, they have like the helmets through the ears right when you kind of first come in. And it is pretty jarring to look at those early ones and think that those guys were just so concussed.
1: Yeah. The Widowmaker, that's what they called that leather helmet. With the ears. Yeah, The ears were okay and protected, but other than that, you run through.
0: I think they just took, like, the little wrestling ears and threw some leather on top of that. Basically, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, they signed the Ivy Group agreement. They said football's dangerous and we don't want it to get in the way of school. And then... In 54, they expanded that to include all the competitions, athletic, uh, athletically speaking. Mm-hmm. And then I think in 1956, they actually started playing these sports.
1: <laughs> they finally got around to it then.
0: Yeah. And it was, um, I think there was the Eastern Intercollegiate Basketball League was where they first played basketball right. in 1901. And then they rolled that into the Ivy League when they finally came around in 56. So they like to claim that uh, they are the oldest NCAA Division I basketball conference. Which is
1: true in a way, I because guess. Because
0: of that first, uh, what is it, the E-I-B-L.
1: Right. Um, not the prettiest acronym I've ever seen. No. Um, but the um, that Ivy Group agreement and then later on the formation of the Ivy League um, – Like I was saying, they wanted to balance academics with sports. They they were basically like, these students are here to learn. But if they have time or they're interested in sports, sure, we'll let them play sports. So they kind of um, sketched out some rules that other universities and colleges would find to be utter madness. Mm -hmm. Um, No athletic scholarships whatsoever. Like if you, you, yes. you can't go to an Ivy League school and an athletic scholarship, right? Like financially, it's supposed to be reserved for the the um, the brightest students of uh, less means or lower means than the, the other kids. Right. Correct. You also um, if you end up in a championship or a playoff or something, what do you have to do if you're the team?
0: Well, you don't go. <laughs> uh Although I guess basketball is an exception because they have played in the March Madness tournament. Right. But I know that if they, if a, well, I mean, let's be honest, the football team's probably not going to make a ball game. I know, it's game. not really a
1: problem <laughs> if you think about it.
0: But if they did, supposedly they would have to skip the bowl game. Uh, They don't allow grad students to play, uh, although that's not the most common thing, even at other schools. They also
1: switched that this year because of the coronavirus. If you were a senior and you didn't get to play in 2020, but you're going to be a grad student at the same Ivy League school, they're letting you play one more year, which is like a huge...
0: So a first-year Harvard Law student could play football. Yeah, and dominate. Yeah. Uh, I dominate on the line and in case law. (laughs) Uh, And then what's the other one? Oh, they don't allow red shirts. Right. The the practice of red shirting a student.
1: Yeah, because I mean, you're a pretty serious, you have a serious sports program. If you're taking people and being like, I think you're going to be better as a junior and senior than you are as a freshman, we want to add an extra year on to your school. So
0: wear this red shirt around for the next 12 months. Right. Do not
1: take (laughs) it off or else you'll be disqualified. You're not allowed. So the, and I mean these rules have been in place and respected for decades now since the since the 1940s when they first came together. So um, that's not to say though that even even though they're not very good at football and mm-hmm. not necessarily very good at basketball that there aren't like any teams or any individuals that excel at sports and win uh, national championships. Like I said, um, Brown and Yale. It was the Yale women who um, dominate rowing. Yeah, no, no Brown, Brown and Yale. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there, I said one earlier of those maybe two Cornell. Is so mad. <laughs> right. No, I think I said earlier Cornell, but it's it's Brown and Yale who um, women who are both good at ro- rowing.
0: Yeah, you could if you're a wrestler, mm-hmm. you could do pretty well at one of those schools. Yeah,
1: you could end up on um, the the Grey Fox team,
0: uh, or, or if you're on the ski team, if you know, if your university has a ski team, then that says a lot already. It really does. First of all, it says you're from the Northeast. Yes. But also it says
1: that you probably came from a wealthy high school that had a ski team, too. Which is a thing that we'll talk about later on.
0: Well, sure. That These sports are for people with money, generally.
1: Yeah, basically that... um, because there's not a really good basketball team or football team, there are, I think their baseball teams are so-so too, hockey team too a little bit, that um, you basically have to come from a wealthy school district in high school right. to excel at sports in these universities.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of sets us up for the big question is whether or not these are elitist schools. Uh, I think they're sort of in a, I don't know about a pickle, I think they're in a constant pickle. <laughs> trying to be elite without appearing elitist
1: that's a that's a tough act believe me
0: oh yeah <laughs> oh that's funny um, and they are elite schools like if you go to an Ivy League school mm-hmm. they say you have a five to six fold advantage relative to random distribution of attainment of a top position in business or government so you're five to six times more likely to be a CEO or to be that Supreme Court justice.
1: Right. Um, especially if you go to business or law school, right?
0: But yeah. Anything finance or law. I think eight of the nine current justices went there except for Amy Coney Barrett, who went to Notre Dame. Well, the Catholic IP <laughs> Yeah, that's true, I guess.
1: Um, yeah. So, yeah, if you're on the Supreme Court, there's an extraordinarily high likelihood you are a graduate of not just an undergraduate of um, an Ivy League, but also a yeah. graduate of an Ivy League law school. It's just, totally. it's just not done to have a Supreme Court justice who isn't. So Amy Comey Barrett definitely bucks that trend. Um, but Presidents tend to be, I think, 34% of all presidents in the United States ever went to um, a, uh, an Ivy League school, either yeah. for undergrad or grad. And then five of the last six can you guess who number six is? Who did not go? Yeah.
0: Joe Biden? Joe Biden. He, yeah. went, he went to Delaware and yeah. then
1: he went to Syracuse Law.
0: Yeah, because uh, the previous president went to Wharton. Wharton. Well, he went to Penn and then I think he went Penn, on to Wharton, Wharton right. as
1: well. And Wharton's the business school at UPenn.
0: Right. He just crushed it.
1: Yeah. Obama went to uh, Columbia. Uh, that's right. Um, George W. went to Yale because yeah. he was a legacy. His father went to Yale. And he's a
0: Skull and Bones guy, too. I think, yeah, famously. yeah, yeah. What about Clinton? Where did he go?
1: Clinton went to Georgetown, and then I believe he went to Yale Law.
0: Oh, I was so hoping he was a Razorback.
1: <laughs> You'd think so. I <laughs> think they cool. moved to Arkansas after that. They were like, what state can we take over? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as education goes— You know, it's sort of one of those things where the education, of course, is great. No one's going to knock an Ivy League school education with Mm -hmm. a straight face. Right. So don't think we're doing that. But there is that weird effect where getting the job uh, because you have that on your resume is a thing. You can't you just can't deny that.
1: Right. It's just the reputation of the Ivy Leagues alone. Yes. Sustain their reputation.
0: Success breeds success. Exactly. Yeah. So
1: if you have a degree from an Ivy League university, y- doors are going to open for mm-hmm. you just because you have a degree from an Ivy League university. Like you can step right. in for a position at a, a Wall Street law firm and be l- less qualified probably uh, as far as actually doing the work goes okay. than somebody who went to Georgia mm-hmm. who's Smarter and more capable than you and you're probably going to get the job Because you went to an Ivy League school because they have the reputation the thing is the Ivy Leagues are well aware of this they know that that it would be really easy to rest on their laurels and just you know, let anybody in as long as your parents have the money to donate like a new wing of the library or something like that. Why
0: is it always a wing of the library? (laughs) I don't know, but it always is. (laughs) Donate a food (laughs) hole. Yeah,
1: that'd be great. Um, But the, the, I I, I think that they try to balance that out as much as possible, Mm -hmm. or at least to some degree, because they know that eventually their reputation is going to fall because it turns out that all of the Harvard people are really actually dummies. The problem is, is in the meantime, those people who are making their way to the top just by virtue of having gone to the Ivy Leagues Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily the best and the brightest. And since they're aggregating at the top, that means the leadership is not necessarily the best and the brightest. And they're also recruiting and drafting and opening doors and creating policies that benefit people like them rather than necessarily everybody else. And then the final factor of this, Chuck, is that Because those people went to Ivy League schools Mm -hmm. and the rest of us are just awed by Ivy League schools, Mm -hmm. the fact that they have Ivy League credentials means that their ideas, that those policies they come up with, that the, um, the, the decisions they make are inherently right. Right, because they're Ivy League credentials. Right, so it's a big Ouroboros with like multiple tails going into multiple yeah. mounts, but it's
0: all one big thing. Yeah, it's a human sc- centipede,
1: and it's a, like a real <laughs> right. It's a real, um, it's a real like balancing act because the the fate of uh, the nation in a large part, um, not entirely, we'll get to that, but mm-hmm. in in large part rests in the in the hands of these. Yeah. These Ivy League schools who are producing tomorrow's leaders.
0: That's true. Uh, There was a study that found that top executives are not dominated by these elite schools, but they are overrepresented. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, that five to six-fold advantage to get that top position in a business if you went to an Ivy League school. uh, I think they're about on par, though, with uh, like MIT, Stanford, Caltech, um, you know, there are plenty of non-Ivy schools right. that also are kind of up there with them as far as um, maybe not representation, but at least um, breathing in the same rarefied air.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a stratum called Ivy Plus, which includes Stanford, Duke, University of Chicago, and MIT. Right. Most people consider that. And then there's also people who are like, well, don't forget Georgetown and don't forget, you know, um, I think UC Berkeley is sometimes sure. In there. Sure,
0: yeah, Berkeley probably. So
1: there's, and if you Northwestern, maybe. Yes, um, if you if you step back though and look at these schools on paper, some of these other schools probably blow Ivy
0: League schools out of the water as far as just like education.
1: Yeah, but in specific areas, right, like, there right, There are right. specific like if you want to to understand business, go to Wharton Business School. If you want to right. like practice law in any like to learn law, Harvard Law, Yale Law, those are really good mm-hmm. choices. Uh, If you want to learn everything you need to know about the food service industry, go to Cornell. Uh, They have a huge, like, restaurant hospitality and food science division. Yeah. I don't know why, but it's as good as it gets, right? So, um, but there's other schools that are like, like, try to go to Harvard for engineering rather than MIT. Like, you'd be a dummy to do that. So, in that sense, MIT blows Harvard out of the water. The thing is, it doesn't matter. It's, MIT's not an Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. Harvard is, so Harvard has an extra veneer of prestige that the right. average dum-dum will just be blown away by.
0: Right. Georgia has a good journalism school. Sure. Great veterinary program. Yep. Large and, animal vet. Uh, yeah. Yep. And then for guys like us, it's also a place where you could go and get a decent state school education and have a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Cheapest uh, 40 ounces in, in the state. <laughs> oh, man. Georgia used to be really cheap. I think tuition has gone up, but back when we were there, like— It was like six hundred dollars a quarter or something (laughs) for a full load. Wow, Wow. it was ridiculous. Wow, that is that is super
1: cheap. I'll bet it's going
0: up. Uh, And Georgia's gotten a lot harder to get into as well since we were there. Right, like I I don't think the Southern Ivy. Yeah, well, (laughs) I'm going to start there. I'll take it. Georgia's now the Southern (laughs) Ivy. Uh, These schools too, like not only do you have to have a lot of money to go there, they are incredibly rich and wealthy schools. Um, They have endowments totaling. For all of them combined, 140 billion dollars, mm. with Harvard's endowment alone being 40 billion. I think the lowest is Brown's piddly little 4.2 billion. Mm-hmm. And Ed conjectures here, but I think he's probably kind of right yeah. that you know when you have an endowment, it's not um, it's not just a big loaded bank account, but it's it's an investment portfolio to make more money on that money. Sure. And if you leave a ton of money as a Harvard alum to their endowment fund and then you end up running a business, they might invest in your business or something yeah, like that.
1: It's possible. I haven't seen anything, but, I mean, it makes sense. Then there's, like, such a, um, you know, one hand washing the other kind of thing yeah. with Ivy League schools in particular because they are these conveyor belts for dinosaurs. Is that a saying? Uh, one yeah. hand washing the other? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. You haven't heard that? I don't think so. How else are you going to write your own ticket?
0: Right, well. takes both hands. <laughs> I've heard of one. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours.
1: One hand washes the other. Same thing.
0: But how do you but wash you a hand without with, just with just one hand? That's just, what I'm saying. Oh, okay, I got you. You don't. <laughs> you don't in the right ear. I get, I get it. Here's Josh. <laughs> Man, that thing's so creepy. I'm just waiting for blood to start trickling out of one of them. <laughs> that means we're doing a bad job. Should we take another break?
1: Yeah, let's take another break. We'll come back and talk more about endowments because it is a thing. All right. We
0: learned so much stuff from Josh and Chuck. Stuff you should know.
1: All right, Chuck. So we we're talking about endowments. You said Harvard's alone is 40000000000 billion. They're well endowed. Just right. Exactly. Um, hanged. Just uh, just from that alone, just the fact that they have in their investment portfolio $40 billion. Yeah. They reaped, uh, I think, two hundred ninety-six billion million. Million, sorry. They made $296 million in growth. Okay. Off of their $40 billion por- portfolio. Um, I think in 2017.
0: That's great. It's a good return.
1: It is a great return. <laughs> um, and it was tax-free. Uh, had it happened in 2016, it would have been tax-free. Mm-hmm. Those universities endowments, even though they're private universities, they're nonprofit universities, and their endowments were non-taxed until, ironically, the 2017 tax uh, package was passed. And there was a 1.5 tax, 1.5% tax, tax on university endowments. Really? Yeah. So Harvard made a big stink about how they had to cough up $50 million in taxes that year. Sure. But if you're using all $296 million from that year for yeah. things like, you know, building a new library wing, <laughs> maybe a food hall, I don't know. Uh-huh. Or if you're a teaching hospital, a university hospital, um, you might build a new hospital wing or something like that. It's always a wing. Supposedly, mm-hmm. <laughs> supposedly, you're supposed to use a lot of this also to basically pay for free rides for um, low-income students mm-hmm. who, who otherwise wouldn't be able to make it. Sure. That's what endowments are meant to be for. But just the fact that the, these, these um, universities have such huge endowments makes them targets.
0: For um, for IRE, oh yeah,
1: and it just kind of underscores just how unlike the rest of us they are,
0: right? You know, yeah, sure. A hundred
1: hundred and forty billion total? total, yeah, yeah, between the eight schools, that that definitely separates them in that respect. But the the from that endowment though, they're they're investing in their students' education. That's right. what they're supposed to be doing with it overall. And there is a big difference if you go to an Ivy League school. Um, you are probably going to have about ninety-two thousand dollars invested in you personally yeah. uh, each year over the course of your career if you go to an Ivy League school. Yeah, every
0: resource you need, I imagine.
1: Right. Yeah. The professors are well paid, so you're going right. to have the best of the best. The facilities are in great shape. They're not going to run, run out of lights like, and
0: burners. Exactly.
1: <laughs> We're out of gas again. Right. In um, a second tier school, and I use I just made air quotes. Mm-hmm. Chuck can attest, and so can the ear. Um, the second-tier schools, which is basically anything that's not like the top 20-ish, maybe 25 universities, mm-hmm. but still really good schools, yeah. they'll spend an average of about $12,000 per student.
0: Compared maybe. to what? $91,000? 90, $92,000. right.
1: Yeah. So they are putting money into their students' education for sure. the endowment, but still, $40 is a lot of money.
0: It's a lot of money. Uh, as far as getting into an Ivy League school, it is tough, obviously. Uh, their acceptance rates are... Anywhere from about 3.5% to 15%, depending on the year and the school. I think Harvard has the lowest rate. Uh, Stanford, Northwestern, and Georgetown are non-Ivy's with about the same acceptance rate. So it's not specific to Ivy schools. Um, but there have been a couple of scandals in recent years, uh, notably a couple of years ago with uh, Lori Laughlin and uh, – who was the other actor – um, the lady from, uh, yeah, yeah, no. oh, boy, She and William
1: H. Up. Macy were married. Yes. Suzanne Summers.
0: Yeah, Suzanne Summers. <laughs> I can't remember her name. She was on Desperate Housewives. Right. Uh, watch that. Your Felicity Huffman. Felicity Huffman. 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 Nice job. <laughs> uh, boy, Macy skated on that, too, didn't
1: he? Oh, yeah. He was like, good luck in yeah. <laughs> prison, hon.
0: <laughs> but that was the big uh, revelation that parents who had rich parents who had kids that were kind of Uh, not qualified to get into these schools, let's say. Right. Uh, (laughs) We're very diplomatic. Yeah, We're trying to make – we're trying to get them into school by uh, getting them in through the sports program. So we said that they can't offer scholarships, and that's true. But what they can do is a coach can go to the administration and say, hey, like, you know, I know you save us a few slots for admission at least. Yeah. And they won't get a scholarship, but can you can you get Lori Loughlin's daughter in here on a field hockey scholarship? Right. And they're like, but she doesn't play field hockey. Right. She never has. I'm like, well, I know, but they made quite a donation to the new science wing. Right. Or the field hockey wing. The coach
1: said Ixnay on the Akihei.
0: But this was bribery and they, you know. Oh, she's, yeah. She's, is she in jail now or is she just out? I believe she's
1: out. Her husband, I think. You no, know, she's out. Her husband may be out again now. I think they reduced his sentence, too. They threw the book at him for six months, and I think they had him serve like a month or something.
0: Right, because like they kind of fought things. I remember Felicity Huffman really just ate crow, mm-hmm. apologized, threw herself at the mercy of the court of public opinion and the the real mm-hmm. court, which was definitely the right move. Yeah. I think she was very ashamed yeah. and came out and said so, whereas Lori Loughlin was kind of like, I'm going to fight this. It's like, that's not the right move. That was a
1: great Lori Laughlin <laughs> impression, by the way.
0: But that was a very big deal. Like, that kind of rocked the entertainment slash academic world for a little while.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people didn't realize that Ivy Leagues have these coaches' slots where the coach can say, let this kid in. I want him on my fencing team. Best fencer I've ever seen. Right.
0: You ought to see this guy with a foil. Right.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, the idea that not only were these kids not qualified to go to an Ivy League school, but they also weren't even any good at sports. They no. were just using this backdoor thing. That's not good at all. Uh, what
0: about that other, the anti-Asian bias scandal?
1: Yeah. So the, um, you know, you talked about Harvard's acceptance rate being 3.4%. That was for 2020. That's yeah. low even for Harvard.
0: Yeah, that's super low.
1: It's not necessarily Harvard's fault that their acceptance rate is so low. They mm-hmm. usually have about the same number in each class every year and have for decades. Mm-hmm. It's just that more and more people are applying to it. Apparently there's there's academic coaches that... Um, Basically, just just help you fill out forms and tell you how to apply to different colleges. Right, and they their their rise has been commensurate with the flood of applications in right. the Ivy Leagues. So uh, more and more people are applying, but the, the which means the acceptance r- rate is lo- getting lower and lower, even though the class size has been the same. The point of that is that these classes are curated almost at Ivy yeah. Leagues. And if you just went on academics, mm-hmm. just A plus four 0, somehow their GPA was even above four point yeah, I don't know how that or four works. period O, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, the, uh, the, the you would have way more Asian children in the Ivy Ivy League schools, but you don't. Right. So this this group sued Harvard and said, you know, you have an anti-Asian bias. Mm-hmm. And Harvard was like, it's not an anti-Asian bias. We more just sculpt each class. Right. So not only did they look at a well-rounded student with a bunch of different, different like, interests and pursuits and right. community service, in addition to their grades, they they tried to look at a class like that, too. They assemble right. a well-rounded like, class. Like, what
0: does this class time. look like? Yeah. And, you know, for what it's worth, they were uh, – I think they were sued by an anti affirmative action group and they said um, they won and then they won the appeal. Harvard did. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- yeah, yeah. Harvard won, then they won the appeal. And I think it's still in the courts for, I guess, another appeal. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're, it seems like they're trying to do that in the name of diversity, which is ironic because, you know, if you're a minority, if you're Asian, you're a minority. Right. So um, I could see crying foul against that. But they're you know there are lots of minorities and right. I guess they're trying to create a diverse class at least that's what they're saying.
1: Yeah, they and one of the places where diversity really needs to be boosted though is um, on socioeconomic status. Right. Apparently, there's um, there's a group called um, OpportunityInsights.org, dot org and it's some ex Ivy leaguers who got together to kind of study how Ivy leaguers serve mm-hmm. American society, and um, they released. These detailed reports every once in a while, and the most recent one says that um, the middle middle income kids are being left out. That the uh, like the Ivy Leagues are going for like the real like rags to riches success stories right. to boost like their image. Sure, and I as a result, that. they're also they're leaving out some of the middle. Where if you just took kids who were who had scored at least a fourteen hundred on the SAT. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as qualification and left income out of it, middle income kids would, I think the rep- representation would go up by like 10% or something right. crazy like that. Yeah. Um, but that's not the case. You have very, very high income kids. Like for example, if you're student or if you're student with parents in the top 1% mm-hmm. of American economic brackets, um, you're seventy-seven times more likely to attend an Ivy League than a student with a parent in the lowest twenty percent, which is crazy because there's only one point two million households in the one in the top one percent, but there's twenty-one million households in the bottom twenty percent. But those kids in the top one percent are still seventy-seven times likelier to go to an Ivy League school. That right there is you just drop the mic right there. There's you you just there's no argument. Like they serve the the highest echelons of American yeah. society and help the next generation stay in the highest echelons of American society.
0: If you drop this mic, you're going to injure that ear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another stat here in 2017, more than 20% of Dartmouth students were from the top 1% of earning families and 14.4% came from the bottom 60% of families by income. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the stat, but I guarantee you that most of those fell between, like, the 50th and 60th percentile. Right. Uh, I'd be curious to see what, like, the bottom 10 percent looks like, but it's it's probably super, super low.
1: So um, I saw another study from the Opportunity Insights where they were saying, like, okay, the key here, what you're looking for to raise people up are the lower socioeconomic levels to the higher ones mm-hmm. through a college education— are two, there's two factors. One is access. They've got to be able to have access to that education. Mm -hmm. So how, how many lower income students is this, this, um, university accepting and then mobility, which is how many go from the bottom quintile to the highest quintile. You mean in their
0: career in life?
1: Yeah. Like say 10 years on. Yeah. Right. Or yeah, over their lifetime.
0: What's the stat there?
1: Well, they found that IVs are not they're great at mobility. Right. Like they can get people out of the bottom 20% and in the top 20%, no problem. But so can second-tier schools. Right. And second-tier schools have much greater access. It's much easier to get in. Right. And they're also a lot cheaper over the – I think Harvard's like fifty grand a year now or something like
0: that. Yeah, but although if you are in that bottom income bracket, you're going to be getting grants out the wazoo.
1: Right. But it's hard to get in. Right, the sure. access is shut down. The mobility is pretty good, but yeah. it's also just as good as second tier. Now, if you take away that moving people from the bottom 20% to the top 20%, mm-hmm. and you look at moving people from the bottom 20% to the top 1%, then Ivy Leagues just blow everybody else out of the water. There's yeah. a good chance that if you are from the lowest 20% of earners, mm-hmm. and dude, we're talking $25,000 a year less. right? There's 20 22 million households in the U.S. that Mm -hmm. that make that. Um, If you come from that quintile and you get into an Ivy League school, there's a pretty decent chance you're going to be in the top 1% of earners 10 years after uh, you graduate.
0: Yeah, what is this stat doesn't make sense here at the end then. 22% of Princeton students were Pell Grant eligible, Mm -hmm. but only 1.3% of their students entered poor and became rich later in life? Yeah. Could that be right?
1: I don't. Yeah, I think different studies turn up different stuff. So this is just from a different study. And also, it has to do with the measurement. I mean, like, maybe this is over lifetime earnings or something like that.
0: Right, sure. Who knows? That's just, that was startling. Um, There is a good quote here. I think we should read that... and it's it's sort of on the idea that just because you got into Harvard, um, your problems are solved as far as your connections and socially. Right. And I think it has the reputation once you're if you're a student there and if you are from one of those lower income families that sort of like Robbie coming from Georgia to their law school. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, you're still not really one of us. Right. You got in and you're getting these grants. I know you're smart and everything. Yeah. But you're, you're not a, a, a blue blood like we are. Uh-huh. And we're going to have a bunch of clubs that are expensive, uh, have really expensive dues and secret societies. And we can still segregate within this school pretty successfully. And you're not going to have the connections we're going to have, even though you went here with us. Right. Uh, and this one student from, uh, I think he was Haitian, said in a Washington Post article, there are constant reminders I have to forge a place for myself within a world that has been constructed for someone else. So, you know, it's great that they are getting some of these kids in the school and trying to diversify. But that's only step one into truly integrating, you know.
1: Yeah. It's exactly what happened to
0: Elwood's. Yeah. (laughs) I I get the reference now. You got anything else? Have you not ever seen Legally Blonde? I don't think so. It's great. All the way through. Emily has for sure. It's
1: a good one. And Legally Blonde, too, is... One of the better sequels ever.
0: Uh, Blonde ambition.
1: I think so. Is that yeah. The subtitle. Yeah. She she goes through the same exact thing, but this time in DC. I'm not sure how I knew that. Um, well, you just pulled it out of thin air. That's right. Uh, you got anything else? You
0: got nothing else.
1: Okay, everybody. Let's well, Ivy Leagues, and that is also the end of our 3D recording um, career. Uh, at least after this listener mail, because I said 3D recording career. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm over here.
0: Now I'm over here. Now I'm down here. <laughs> You think that does anything? Yeah, probably. Yeah. It just made Jerry tickle. <laughs> uh, and then you got to finish your part now. Did you already forget? Listener mail. Yeah.
1: No, I said that's it's, it's listener mail. Oh, you did. I said, and that means it's time for listener mail because I said blah blah blah. You did say that? Yeah. I missed my cue. All right. Well, here I'll do it again. You ready? <laughs> yeah. We should leave this part in. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't forget already. Uh-huh. I. I th- well, then I get. I guess I did. Uh, well, since Chuck said, I guess I did, that means it's time for a listener, mail.
0: Hey, great setup. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to call this feminism from Emily in Chicago. Hey, guys, in the ARA episode, you mentioned doing at least a short stuff on Betty Friedan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, for one, think it's a great idea because she's done a lot of important work that doesn't really get talked about. But I wanted to bring you guys, uh, bring up to you guys, if you decide to pursue an episode on her, you should know that she led a movement that was exclusive to white middle-class heterosexual women. Uh, the 60s and 70s was a time period that was really rich in movements for women, of, uh, for women, people of color, and the LGBTQ community, yet all these movements, namely second-wave feminism, uh, and the American Indian movement was guilty of this too. They excluded poor women, women of color, and women who identified as LGBTQ. Uh, women in these groups were advocating for the same rights as the leaders of these movements, but oftentimes their voices were just straight-up ignored. Mm-hmm. Betty Friedan was notorious for butting heads with and kicking out these types of women, like Rita Mae Brown, who was a great feminist writer, uh, this wave of feminism in the 60s and 70s was definitely important and did deliver great strides for women, but not all women. I do want to, uh, don't want to rain on anyone's parade here in any uh, shape, or form, but just shed a bit of light on the many years, I'm sorry, many layers of these movements. It's important to celebrate the victories for women and minority groups during this period, but it's also important not to gloss over the many flaws that were present. Uh, you guys are great. Your show is an absolute delight. Can't wait to listen to future episodes. Please keep up the good work. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Emily from Chicago.
1: Thanks, Emily. That's a great point.
0: Totally great point.
1: I've learned uh, over the years and from being a history major that things, even the most celebrated things are rarely just perfect. Yeah, like us. Well, <laughs> we may be an exception to the rule. You know? All right, great. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us like Emily from Chicago did and say, hey, I'm blank from blank, let us know. You can email to us at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.
0: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Radio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.